0: Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity this privilege to uh, study just for a little bit about uh, the miraculous gifts as well as what the spiritual gifts are in the context of um, what the Bible has to teach and even how we view it in our lives. Um, may we be faithful in not just studying your word but also be doers of your words as well. Uh, be with us now, uh, allow us to be attentive and to be uh, focused on you, and um, may you use me to honor and glorify you uh, with this message. Pray these things in your son's name, amen. Well, last week, uh, we spoke on the mission of the church, and uh, that's just, when we think about missions, it's, it's going out into the world and then evangelizing to the lost and, and, and calling people to repentance and you know, calling them to, to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, this evening, we're, talking, we're going to talk about the miraculous gifts as well as also the spiritual gifts. And the miraculous gifts and spiritual gifts kind of go in the middle, whereas evangelism is, is towards outside the church. Spiritual gifts can go both inside and outside of the church. And, um, and that's what we're going to try to look at today. What, do, what are these miraculous gifts? Or why, are, why does SFBC believe in sensationalism? Or uh, why, why do we believe that the miraculous gifts have ceased? Uh, whenever I do a church membership interview... I, uh, whether when I, was, uh, when I was in LA at Grayson, even here, uh, I would ask them uh, one of these questions. One of the questions I'll ask is, "Are there any doctrines that you disagree with?" And in the back of my mind, I ask this question just because I, I'm curious on if they, you know, if they actually read through the, doctrine, the doctrinal statements and the statement of faith. And, um, and you know, people that usually agree, they don't have to agree in a sense of believing in it. They just have to understand that that's what the church teaches. And that uh, if they have different views, that's okay, but they just can't uh, cause division within the church. Uh, but in my own mind, there's a certain category of questions that I have when I ask that question. It's, it's very rarely which is about like salvation-type questions, because if they don't believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, then you shouldn't be a member. You should be a Christian first. Um, but generally, the categories in my mind, one of the ones I think about is the spiritual gifts, is the miraculous gifts. What is their view on it? Uh, and that's usually the, the common type questions, either that or, or elder rule or versus congregationalism, or even some uh, end time things. Uh, but the, those are the three general types of questions I have in my mind when I ask, are there any doctrines you disagree with in this church? And when we think about spiritual gifts, it's often misunderstood um, as something that's really strictly mystical or beyond our comprehension. Or especially thanks to the Pentecostal movement and the Charismatics, it seems as though that these spiritual gifts are for unique Christians. They're for like the super Christians. And if you uh, do not, if you can't achieve a certain level of godliness, you don't, you won't be able to have these spiritual gifts. It doesn't help also that the majority of our modern and popular Churches uh, subscribe to this idea of spiritual gifts. Uh, in, our, in our own website, the SFBC Article of Faith, it reads this in regards to the spiritual gifts. We believe that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly given to every individual believer a unique gift for the purpose of building up the church. We believe that there are two types of spiritual gifts, permanent and temporary. Permanent gifts continue throughout the church age. Temporary gifts such as speaking in tongues and the working of signs Sign miracles gradually ceased as the New Testament scriptures were completed and their authority became established. And again, this is helpful for us, and we're going to try to unpack that tonight. We're going to try to break down what what are the permanent gifts and what are these temporary gifts. Again, when we talk about spiritual gifts, people tend to think of what the Charismatics are are doing or the Pentecostal churches. And, And some of the churches now blur the line when they use the word spiritual gift they mean something that maybe we, you and I don't agree with, or, or they mean it differently. Uh, the charismatic and even some of the Calvary ta- chapels tend to believe that in order for you to have the spiritual gift, there needs to be a second act of grace, a second act of the Holy Spirit working in your life uh, so that you can achieve certain spiritual gifts. Um, and before we start, do do want to set some terms and define uh, what is what are the sign gifts, which uh, or some, what, what, in our doctrinal statement, we call temporary gifts, uh, or miraculous gifts, or sign gifts. They're all synonymous. Uh, or spiritual gifts, or things that we would do inside the church. And again, I think it's helpful for us to understand the definitions, because it, 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 the Bible, I think, clearly defines these two types of categories. I want to start by defining precisely what we're talking about by defining the two terms, uh, as, as we see throughout this message. Uh, there are two types of spiritual gifts, as I mentioned. There's signs and temporal or, it's, uh, or spiritual gifts and miraculous gifts, or spiritual gifts and sign gifts. Uh, so we're going to first start with the sign gifts. That's uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, not necessarily charismatic, the, the, the continuationist views. Um, so I'm going to start by defining what are these sign gifts. And there are t- our outline tonight will just be sign gifts, and there's going to be a whole bunch of little points, and then spiritual gifts, and there's going to be a whole bunch of little points under that as well. But first we're going to look at the sign gifts. So sign gifts, I'm going to define it this way. Any type of supernatural ability that was reserved for the apostles during the early age of the church to authenticate, confirm, or validate that what they are teaching is truly from the one true God. This is exactly, this is, the, this is why we started in 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all uh, perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. It's, it's these miracles that the apostles were able to do to prove that they are indeed the true apostles. Now, there are four views of the sign gifts. There are four views. There are, I'm going to use the stage as a way to kind of illustrate. So we're going to look at this right wall here. this pretend where the piano is. We'll call that the extreme sensations view. The extreme sensations view, meaning that they believe that every type of spiritual gift is gone. Not just the uh, miraculous gifts, but the spiritual gifts. Every single gift. And the reason why these people hold to that view in particular is because they think uh, it's too hard to define. Like All the gifts, whether it's tongues or, or giving or mercy or, or, or all of these different gifts, they're too hard to define, so we're just going to get rid of all of them. That's the extreme sensations, get, uh, sensations view. Up here, closer to the center or uh, the side, on my right, we're going to call this the sensations view. This is where we hold. Uh, we believe that the spiritual gifts have ceased, <clears throat> have ceased because there's no need for them because we have the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures testify what the apostles want us to hear or want us to know about the Lord. And with the scriptures being completed, there is no need for the signed gifts. Again, we'll, we'll dive into this some more. To my left, on this side, let's say here. We'll call those the continuationists. These are the people that believe that the miraculous gifts are still there. They still exist today, but they exist in a different way. Uh, a lot of the gifts that they hold to now are, are, are analogous. So instead of prophets, they, are, they have impressions. You know, prophets are people that are, are, they can like, foretell the future. So they will say that, well, we don't believe in that. We believe that people have certain impressions in their heart that, that allows them to know what the Lord wants. Um, instead, of instead of speaking in tongues as something like uh, languages, they're, they're, they're really gifted in net languages. And there are no such thing as apostles in the same way we think of apostles, but rather uh, someone that oversees denominations. So it's like they use the old terms or the biblical term to kind of change it a little bit for the modern context. They see the gifts as analogous to something in the past. So, again, quick review. So, on the far right, extreme sensationists. On the right side, sensationists. On the left, uh, there are are uh, continuations, and all the way to the left side of the wall we'll call the extreme charismatic. And these are the people who believe that all the gifts are still in existence today. Every single one of them. Uh, These are the churches that will define the charismatics or the Pentecostal. Uh, Most of these uh, churches actually fall into this category because they believe that every single gift still exists today. And and they believe it exists in the same way as as the New Testament times again, to look at the context of the entire scripture, we need to understand that these miraculous incidents as a whole doesn't happen that often. If you look at the totality of scripture, there's only a few instances where, where certain individuals were able to do these miraculous things. In the Old Testament, we have people like Moses and Joshua. Uh, we have people like, um, in, you know, the, the Torah, we see Moses and uh, Joshua doing these amazing things where, like, where they stop the sun from moving and you know, parting the uh, waters, large bodies of waters. And then in 2nd King, we have Elijah and Elisha, And you know, they're the ones who try to stop the Baal worshippers, you know, calling a fire out of God and challenging the Baal worshippers and everything. And in the New Testament, we have just Jesus and the apostles. Those are the, really the only times in Scripture that, that talks about people being able to do miraculous things. The only other time speaks in the second coming. Like before Christ's return, there will be the two witnesses, and they will be able to do miraculous things. But the the totality of Scripture, it's actually not a norm for people to do miraculous things. Uh, In the Old Testament, similar to the New, the reason why these miraculous gifts exist is to prove that the God of the Bible is the true God in the Old Testament and in the New. And in the New Testament, things like tongues and interpretation, miracles, words of knowledge, healings, or apostles are unique gifts that are are given by God for a particular time to authenticate Jesus as the Messiah, um, and these are gifts that you don't sign up for. The charismatics will say like, oh, well, you need to pray hard enough, you need to fast, you need to give. Oftentimes it's give, because like, you need to have more faith. That's why you don't have these spiritual gifts. Um, but when you look at the way that the New Testament talks about the gifts, it's the apostles that are chosen by God to do this particular task. Uh, the, the, God said the Holy Spirit will enter into them and be, they will be able to do supernatural things. Um, so yeah, there's something that they don't, they don't sign up for. It just happens to them. Um, again, the goal of assigned gifts is unique gifting to certain people to point people to the true God. So we're going to look at all these different lists. We're going to look at all these, not lists, all these different gifts. Uh, And and in the Bible, there's like four or five different lists of different gifts. Um, There's Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And we're going to jump all over the place. So If you just want to just write down the passages, that's totally fine, and look it up later. But those are the general lists in the in the scriptures, and most of these lists kind of uh, some of them overlap, some are unique to them to each of the epistles. But there's uh, but we're going to try to get through all of them. If we're going to start by talking about some of the sign gifts, and the most common sign gift that we hear from if you kind of watch YouTube on the charismatic is the first is the tongues, uh, tongues. The first one is we're going to talk about is the tongues, which actually isn't really you know, isn't translated well in the NASB or the ESV, the Holman Bible actually uses the word languages. And that's, I think, a better translation is the word languages. Uh, it's this idea of using an actual language that people understand. It's not something that is, is not gibberish or some sort of angelic language, but it's something that people understood. It, it was remarkable because every individual believer at the time would hear some sort of language that they understood. So if, if, like, if someone just came in that was... If, if we were in the early days of church, and I know that all, most of us here are, are Chinese, but imagine if someone was like some German dude came, and I started speaking in German. I don't know German. Like, you know, if I just started speaking German fluently. You know, that's what the, uh, the tongues were. Um, and, it, and at the time of the early church, you had people from all over the Roman Empire with all different types of languages, and when they met the apostles, they were able to speak a language that they understood, you know, they were actual languages. They weren't just random, uh, just gibberish or things. You know, like, again, the charismatics will say that these are, these are gifts that you have, and they will try to teach you these gifts. And if you ever try going to a charismatic and just listen to them, it's, it's oftentimes just nonsense. Um, that's, so that's tongues. Tongues are supposed to be an actual language that people were able to speak. Uh, the next one that's kind of closely related is interpretation. Interpretation is a supernatural ability to hear a language and then interpret it. So, imagine if we were—if there's like in this room, there's like 15 different languages. So, an interpreter would be someone that, let's say, I was sharing in English, someone that uh, what doesn't understand English will understand what I'm saying and then translate to another language. Uh, so, there, so it would be, it's kind of like another way of of doing tongues or languages, because they're interpreting something that they—they're interpreting language that they do not know. And, it was, and you know, Corinth had this gift, and it was important to Corinth because there were many people with different languages that spoke uh, in order to prove that this God that they worship is, is, is authentic, is, is a true God. Um, people were able to hear it, and they were able to translate it, and they were able to understand clearly what the, what the, what the apostles were saying. So That's tongues and interpretation, miracles. Uh, this is like a really general term in scripture. It's, it's, it's the ability to do anything that's supernatural, uh, raise, for example, things like raising people back from the dead, healing different people. Um, and in the case of Jesus, he, he was able to read the intentions and the minds of people. Uh, you know, and some of the apostles were able to discern truth without people even telling them. Uh, this is, a, again, a general word that encompasses every, anything that defies uh, reality. A person is able to speak another language fluently, healing, or any type of extraordinary gift. Was given to the apostle by God to authenticate the gospel and to authenticate that the gospel they're preaching is true. Uh, Again, we see in the book of Acts uh, that and revealed in some of the other epistles that the church member had the extraordinary gift to validate the church, has the place where believers worship the one where the believers go to worship the one true God. Uh, These gifts were given by God. To human agency to human agencies, moment, oh, and when they did it, it was a momentary suspension of the laws of nature to validate that God is the God of all of nature. Um, so that's that's the gift of miracles, just again, general term that that, that defies uh reason or, or human or laws of uh of nature. Uh, next one is the words of wisdom. Uh, this is one that's not specified too much in scripture, and the only time we really here, by first 1 Corinthians 12, 8, uh, for and Paul writes for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Uh, it seems to imply in this passage here that it's someone that's able to put uh, Scripture into existence, someone that knows God, that God, God revealed to them His Word, and, he, and they're able to write it out. Uh, it's not just speaking wisdom into people's lives, it's a unique gift to put, word, to put down the Word of God. Uh, in the charismatic church, how often this is played out is someone who gets an impression and will tell you something that's about to happen. I had a pastor friend that, uh, when he was younger, he grew up in a, in, or when he was, before he went to seminary, he went to a Calvary uh, Bible church. And they were kind of charismatic, and they told him, you're going to get married to this one particular girl. And my pastor friend was super excited. He was like, oh, he doesn't even need to try. He's like, okay, if, I'm, if, if this person's right, then I'm I'm gonna marry this person no matter what. If this person got a, a word of knowledge from the Lord, and he asked her out, and she was like, no. And, and now he's like married to somebody else. It's like, I mean, it's, it's obvious that that person's prophecy didn't come true. Though technically, I, I, I guess I guess I guess he's married to someone else now. I guess if his wife died and happened to meet this lady again, I guess okay, fine. But at this point, it seems like it's not true. Right there's no there's no evidence that uh, this person's uh, prophecy or word of wisdom is is is, is telling the truth. So um, that's what word of wisdom and knowledge is. It's not about someone giving some sort of word to someone, but rather it's it's putting scripture, it, it's writing down scripture. The ability to to create not create, but through the word through the work of the spirit, write down all the things that are in revealed in scripture. Next one is healing. This is, this is self-explanatory. It's to heal people. Uh, this is a supernatural ability to overcome demons or power over disease or some sort of physical ailment. Uh, the gifts that were shown in the New Testament were always immediate. Uh, they were undeniable, and they were always complete. Uh, this, this is not like saying, oh, I have the gift of healing. I'm a doctor. No, that's not how it works. The spiritual gift of healing is is people that just drove out sickness from cities, as you see in the book of Acts. Even like their shadow was able to to remove some of the illnesses. And the point of God giving this gift is to point people to 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 faith. And remember, back then there, uh, back then is no different from now. Back then there were people that were hurting and they were looking for an answer uh, and a cure. And they would go to certain people, uh, and sometimes they'll go to different religions, different false gods, and say, like, can you heal me? And they'll say, oh, okay, you need to do this, this, and this, and you'll be healed. And it doesn't happen. Similar to today. You know, some of the charismatic preachers are doing the same things. like, oh, if you, need, if you go here and you have faith, and uh, all of your, your cancer will be gone, or your physical, or your arms will be healed. And, and there, will, there will be a whole bunch of people, mass and massive drones of people going to these stadiums, thinking that they'll get healed. And of course, all of them are frauds. Uh, but when it comes to the, uh, Jesus when, and the apostles, when they would go to these people and they would actually be healed. Uh, it, was, it was immediate. It was something that, like, that, that proved that this is their God. This is the God that made them, the one who knit them in the womb. This gift was to authenticate that the God of the Bible is the one true healer. So that's the gift of healing. Um, and the last miraculous gift, or the uh, yeah, miraculous gift, is, is the apostleship. Uh, and again, this is a unique in terms of it's both a position and a function. Uh, God gave the church a unique individual who saw Jesus, and their responsibility is not only to write down Scripture, but they also to uh, raise the first elders and leaders of the church. Uh, that's, that was their role. Their role is to authenticate uh, who God is through their teaching and their miracles. And then from there, they raise up uh, young believers and to become elders. And they also write down the Word of God. Uh, It is those that God had chosen specifically. There's a twelve, and then a Paul, and they were designed to be the foundation of the church. And the apostles were not only people who—they're not the only only people who wrote scripture, but they gave oversight on how to raise up elders within each church. Uh, They were training and discipling, and God gave them special ability to prove that they are the true apostles of Jesus Christ. So these are the miraculous gifts. The apostleship, healing, words of knowledge, miracles, interpretation, and tongues. Uh, So why do we believe that they stopped? Why do we, SFBC, and a lot of the uh, sensations group, why do we believe that the spiritual gifts ceased? Well, there's four reasons. First, and then this is the one that we've read earlier, is the gifts are to point to authenticate the apostles. Again, this is where we are starting verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. At the time... When the, when the Bible was being written, they, didn't, they had no clue what Paul looked like. They had no idea what James looked like. They had no idea what Peter looked like. Whenever they went all over the place, the, the, it was only like, how do we know if you really are Paul? Are you just not an imposter? And the, their, their miracles, they would prove it through the miracles. And it was supposed to show them that you know, this is indeed the true apostles. And as time progressed, they would write down, the, uh, the, you know, the apostles would write letters to these churches, and they would keep these, letters and then that's how we got the canon of scripture and the scripture points to what they're saying and that is that jesus christ is lord that the, all the things that they're saying is true these are things that christ has taught us and these are things that we're teaching you so why did they stop is because the gifts initially were to, were for the for for the apostles to authenticate that they truly are the apostle things that they've said and things that they've wrote down are the, truly the word of god so there's no need for that now because we have the whole canon of scripture. That's the first reason. First reason why we don't we believe the spiritual gifts have ceased is because uh, the gifts are supposed to we'll just point to the the, the apostles, and we don't have the apostles anymore. Uh, second reason is that the Bible is a better is, the Bible is better than the gifts. Second uh, Peter one nine tells us there's something that's more sure, and that is the prophetic word of God. Peter's saying that there is something that's indeed greater than, uh, than the miracles. There's something greater, and that is the written word of God. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that there's some, that the tongues will cease. Uh, the miracles will cease. Um, and, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, eight, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease, and if there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect, this word "perfect" is, uh, could be translated as the mature. Uh, when the maturity comes, the partial will be done away with. And this is where we get this famous passage: "When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things." Uh, Paul saw the miracles, the, the miracles as something that is childish. It's just it's like the starting point. It's something that's really basic, so that people could know that uh, what, what, who these apostles were and what they wrote down were true. So that's what uh, these gifts were. It's, it's that they're supposed to prove to them that all the things that they've said is truly from the Lord. So not only that uh, spiritual gifts cease because they point to the apostles, and also that the Bible is better than the gifts, but third, and I think it's the most obvious, is that the people who claim to do these miracle gifts just don't do it the, the same way that it's shown in Scripture. Another way of saying it: the reason why these gifts ceased is because they've ceased, right? Like it's, it's, it's like a circular argument. And remember when I talk when I talk about circular argument, it's like everything has circular arguments. How do you know the spiritual gift ceased? Because the spiritual gift ceased, and it's obvious because it's not practiced in the same way. Nothing that people do or claim that's happening today is exactly the way that's shown in the Old Testament or in the New Testament time. Um, the, when we talk about healing, right? Like, there's, if, if people do have the gift of healing, they should be in hospitals. They could, should be able to just walk into a hospital and everyone would be healed. Uh, if there was, if someone was able to speak in tongues, they would just go to any part of the world and a place where there's unreached people, they just and, it be, and would be able to just speak that language. All of these things have ceased because God has intended it for them to cease. Uh, people don't get healed right away. Um, people. That, you know, are, that actually go and think that they get healed. Uh, they get caught up in all this, and eventually what's worse is that they're left still spiritually sick. Um, and again, have you ever talked to a person that, that believes in the spiritual gifts? Sometimes they'll talk about how sincere their experience is. They'll say things like, oh, I've, I've felt it, or I've heard someone that had you know, regrew their arms and their legs. And oftentimes it's, it's very, it's, you can't validate any of these things. You know, it's usually something that they, it's like hearsay. Someone else has told them, or they've heard someone else, but they never experienced it, and they can't duplicate it. Again, and they, when during time of the apostles, they were able to just, they, they, just the handkerchief itself was able to heal those that were sick. You remember even the book of Acts, like one of the guys that was, uh, the apostles were preaching, and the one of the guys fell off the roof, and then they went down, so he died, and was okay, they will, and they healed them right away. You know, it was, it was immediate. Um, these spiritual gifts were unique. And it's not practiced in the same way as the charismatic claim uh, that's happening today. So again, the most obvious one, I think, is because they, they, don't, they don't exist because they don't exist. Lastly, as time progresses, it seems like the gifts uh, seem less and less. Um, by the time they enter the New Testament, um, we see that certain gifts seem to just have, have slowed down. And the charismatics now would say, or people that are in the continuation camp, they'll say like um, people who can't do these miracles is because they lack faith. And remember at the at the end of Second Timothy, there was there was a someone that was close to Paul that was sick, second Peter 420. Uh Aramis remained in church in I I left sick at Miletus. So this was someone that was close to Paul, someone that he knew, but he left them there sick. And then we know about uh, Timothy, where Paul told him to to get to drink water with a little bit of wine so that it can be good for his stomach. These are, if there's, if there's anyone that, that, did, that lacked faith, it is not Paul. He, he will, he knew, he's done these miracles before, and, and he knew that over time, these things would stop. And it was evident through some of the people that were close to them. In fact, if you put all of the New Testament books in, in the order that is written, you'll notice that the later epistles uh, showed, talked less and less about the gifts. Whereas the early epistles and the early gospels highlight more of those miraculous gifts. And it shows that as time progressed, the gifts were, uh, were, were not needed anymore because people believed that the apostles were true and that what they said and what they've written down uh, is truly from the Lord. Now, the common, the common kind of like pushback from those who believe in those, the miraculous gifts it's this. Does that mean that we're putting God in a box? Uh, no, we're not putting God in a box. God can do whatever he likes. Uh, but when he, if he chooses to do some of the miracles, it will actually be a miracle. It will be something that's unique and something that you can't explain. The charismatics, they tend to... Think that they can somehow summon the power of God. They'll say things like, oh, I, could, I could remove the spirit out of you. And you, if you guys know Billy, Benny Hinn, he goes around with his coat and he starts swinging it at people. And they'll just kind of fall over and there's like the domino effect of like, like people falling over. You know, that's not how the, the spiritual gifts were practiced back then. Paul did not walk around swinging his coat. Um, he, just, he just spoke and then, they, and then the demons were gone. All these, these miraculous gifts have a particular function that's different from the way the charismatics do today. Uh, again, God can do it, but if he does it, it's supposed to prove that he is God. It's not to somehow buff up a movement or an individual. Uh, the charismatics believe that these gifts, uh, the people who don't do these gifts are people who lack faith. We don't see these miraculous gifts anymore. Uh, Again, these signs were designed to point people to the true God. And if you notice, even some of the charismatic movement, their, their main focus with these gifts isn't to point people to God. It's to make yourself feel better in this life. Which again, makes you think the, the reason behind these gifts for them is not so much to make you love the things above, but to cherish the things below. And the gifts initially from the apostles were supposed to make you know and love Jesus. These signs were designed to make you trust in Jesus, and to look forward to a life where there is no more pain and suffering anymore. Those signed gifts are temporary, but the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit enables the church with gifts that are still active today, which gets their second point, the spiritual gifts. Um, What are these spiritual gifts? So we just talked about the miraculous gifts and why we believe they cease. Now we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts. What are the stuff that are active today? What are these um, permanent gifts? So I'll define spiritual gifts this way. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and is used in any ministry to build or strengthen the church. I'll say that again. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and is used in any ministry to build or strengthen the church. Spiritual gifts began in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And the spiritual gifts are are unique to the church. They're not part of the Old Testament because... Uh, Back then, the the Holy Spirit didn't enter into the Old Testament saints. But in the New Testament, the New Covenant, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. So the very first basic spiritual gift is our own salvation. The Holy Spirit worked in our life, regenerated our hearts, and now we have new life. That's the, the most basic spiritual gift. And how that works out in our life is that we eventually become, we have a new mind with new desires, and all the things that we do In the church, uh, it's it's considered our spiritual gifts. Uh, All that you do in terms of your skill set in the church, that is the Holy Spirit using you to build up the church. When you use your gifts uh, that are given to you, you are an instrument of the Lord to help and to serve those around you to be more like Christ. It's always used to build up and strengthen the church. This means that your spiritual gift really only applies when you are a believer and it applies to those that are inside the church. Uh, you can have certain talents or skill sets that you use outside the church, and that's fine, but uh, this, when we, the Bible, the New Testament, seems to talk about how spiritual gifts it, it applies to those that are believers, as believers serving other believers, as believers uh, caring for other believers and to encourage and build up other believers. It's uh, Your spiritual gifts are what you do inside the church. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, Fourteen twenty-six tells us that these gifts are are, are used for edification. Uh, your spiritual gifts are only there until you die or when Christ returns. This is momentary time you have here to serve the body of Christ. The moment when Christ returns, or the moment you die, or the moment the church is raptured away, so are the spiritual gifts. Again, so we're going to talk about what are these spiritual gifts. And I've listed the four kind of general passages. Again, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And again, these lists tend to overlap at times. Um, But of all these verses, I just want to talk about 1 Peter 4.11, where where it reads, 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God, Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And It seems to be in this passage that there are two types of general gifts. And if you list all the four categories, all the four lists in Scripture, you could boil it down to what you say and what you do things that you say to build up the body or things that you do to build up the body. Uh, and, that's, uh, and, and the body is made up of different parts and there different functions, there are different talents and different gifts. Uh, in fact, the, again, the most broad thing we think about is that what you say in the church and what you do in the church are, 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 should be enabled by the Holy Spirit to serve and to care and build up. So ask yourself this question, what ways can you use your actions and your words To help build up the body of Christ? What are are some things that you can say to your fellow brothers and sisters in the church now that can build them up, that can encourage them? Or what are some things that you can do in the church that can can build up uh, your brothers and sisters around you? So how do do I know my spiritual gifts? Which is like the natural question. How do I know what what I need to do? Again, we went from really broad, what you say, what you do. And then now we're going to get to some of the specifics and we'll get into little details on what, how the, these four lists, and I'm going to, again, try to summarize as much as I can. Um, but these gifts, again, are, are designed by God, given to all believers to build up the body. One time before, when I was in L.A., before, uh, when I first went to college, uh, I, went, I actually visited and a and Calvary Chapel um, at the time, I did not know these things, so I was just kind of, oh, Calvary Chapel. I like the name Calvary and chapel. I'm cool with that. I didn't know it was a charismatic church. But I went in, and I asked them, uh, one of the first few days I was there, I was like, how can I serve the body of Christ? What, what can I do? I, like to, I want to be involved. And they gave me this huge packet. It was, like, it was called like the spiritual gift test. And it's kind of like, you know how on Facebook, where they say, oh, what kind of cartoon character you are? It's like those type of tests. Like when you take it, it's pretty obvious on you know, who you are uh, and whatever cartoon characters or whatever TV character. same way with these spiritual gift tests. It's pretty obvious as you're taking it what your gifts are. They'll say things like, when you see a non-believer, do you feel compelled to share the gospel with them? And then there's like a, a number range, like one to 10 or whatever, and then you fill it out. And, and then the next question will be like, uh, do, you, do you have this heart for those who do not know Jesus Christ? And it's like the same type of question, just in, very, in different forms. And you, you, know, you, you check the boxes or whatever, and you add up the points. In the end, you realize, oh, okay, it's what I like to do. Um, we don't have that in this church, but, we, yeah, but there's, there's a subtle truth even to this form, in that it's basically, what do you like to do? How do you know your spiritual gifts? And when people ask me that question, I usually ask back this question, what is it that you like to do? Uh, what is it like you like doing? If you want to figure out your spiritual gift, just start doing something in the church and see if you like it. Serve faithfully and humbly and see how the Lord will grow you and the ministry. Uh, and again, since there's, all of us are unique and all of us are different and no two Christians are alike, uh, two, gifts can, two people have two completely different sets of gifts. And all, and, you, and all of us here have different gifts that God has given to us to serve and build up the body. Um, so all of us, when we look at one another, we should see each other as an instrument of the Lord that the Lord will use each and every single one of us to to encourage and to build up the church. That's that's what it means to be a faithful member of the church, that you don't see yourself as this passive type of uh, attender. There shouldn't be a a passive Christian. There's no such thing. If you're passive in your attendance, if you're only here just to listen and leave, you're not fulfilling what God's mandate for you. You're basically neglecting the gifts that he's given you. So how are you using the things that it's given you? You have certain skill set, you have certain talents, you have certain abilities. These are all given to you by God. Are you being a good steward of what he's given you? So we're going to look at this list of all of the spiritual gifts that still exist in the church today. Uh, We'll go with the first one, teaching. Teaching. Um, Again, this is in in all the four lists, each of them, a few of them actually speak of this gift. Teaching or being a teacher is both an office and a gift. It involves building and teaching God's truth clearly and accurately. Uh, This is a qualification for elders, but it's not simply for elders. Uh, There are some of you that are are teaching in children's Sunday school. That's great. Uh, Some of you are doing flock groups. That's great. Some of you guys are meeting one-on-one with other people and teaching each other God's word. That's great. That's that's a gift of teaching, where you're you're, you're teaching someone God's word. Uh, Anyone that teaches God's word in any capacity is considered Teaching. Um, people, another way of describing people, of, of this gift is people who teach are those who are called to go and impart truth to others inside the church. You have this unique gift to teach. You want to study God's word and you just have this desire to, to, to impart all the, that the Lord has taught you from his word. That's a gift of teaching. And there is a warning with this, though, and James tells us that many of us should be teachers because if you get God's word wrong then you'll be held to a higher standard. You're, there's a stricter judgment for it. Um, so that's like kind of like a way to decipher what is, uh, who really has this gift. Are you willing to faithfully dive into God's word and able to go and teach it clearly? Um, so yeah, teaching is it's a, it's a huge responsibility in the church, but it's not the only gift. The next, teach, the next gift we have in this list is exhortation. Uh, this work in, in the Greek is, is, this, is these two compound words that it means along para, which is you know coming alongside or parallel, and cleo uh, which is call. So you're going alongside someone next to them, and, and you're calling them to be more like Christ. And this functions in two ways. Romans twelve eight talks about how we need to uh, exhort one another. It goes in two ways when you're talking about building up someone in Christ with your words. You can it's either do exhortingly exhorting meaning like. Like in First and Second Thessalonians, where Paul tells them to excel still more, they see their, how they're faithful to the Lord, and, he, and Paul tells them to continue on living faithfully to the Lord. On the other hand, there's those that need to confront sin. These are those that are living in sin, and they have to use God's word to point out sin in their lives. In our in our church context, we think of things like counseling, right? We we think of biblical counseling that's using God's word and teaching them how to be more like Christ because the life that they're living now currently doesn't line up to God's word. So whether you're encouraging someone to continue excelling in in their Christ-likeness or you're pointing someone to repent, uh, these are both gifts of exhortation. Uh, Next one we have uh, is service and helping. Uh, This is shown in Romans 12.7 and 1 Corinthians 12.28, and this word service can be translated as deacon. Uh, It is a broad term that means any kind of particular uh, practical assistance or help uh, it, is something, it is doing something that to assist on the behalf of others is often used to describe someone that uh, this, this does what on the surface is a seemingly mundane task. It's someone that the Lord has raised up to serve the body humbly, the way Christ served humbly. In Philippians 2, there was, I preached on this like a year ago about Epaphroditus. He was this guy that, that brought uh, these, these gifts to Paul when he was in prison. Uh, that was his gift. His, his gift of serving is that he's going to just grab all these resources and just go over. And, and, and at the time, this was like a big deal. It seems mundane. It's just like, oh, just bring this over. But at the time, it's like a life and death thing. Uh, Epaphroditus saw what, the, uh, what, what Paul needed, and he was able to act on it. He's like, okay, I'll go. And uh, you know he almost died for it, but you know Paul acknowledges his faithfulness, and, um, and that's what's something we need to be uh, for us in the church. We need to be more mindful of our surroundings. If you want to, uh, some some of the people who have this gift of service are those who are always like looking around and thinking, how can I help the body of Christ? You know, if there's like if there's a spill on the floor, you know, their their, their first instinct is that they want to clean it up. They want to make it comfortable for someone else. Or if they see like, food on the table that's left, and instead of just waiting for someone else to throw away, they clean it up. Or stacking chairs or seemingly lowly tasks. These are people that are, are just faithful and they have the desire to just, to just do like, behind the scene type things. Again, all, and, and before I continue on, understand that each and every single one of these gifts are something that every Christian should do anyways. It's just that certain Christians excel and they have this unique ability to do these things exceptionally well. And these people, these people that want to serve and help, they do these things, um, you know, only with the audience of the Lord. You may not know these type of individuals, but the Lord sees that. And they do these things without grumbling or complaining. Next list, or next one on the list is leading or or administration. Uh, this is again, listen for uh, Romans 12.8 and 1 Corinthians 12.28. These are people who are gifted in everyday decision making. Uh, they are uniquely gifted by God to keep things in order within the church. Uh, the word administration means the guide. And this word is used in Acts 27 to describe a captain steering the boats. And that's what these people are. They are uniquely gifted to help run the church. Uh, in this, in Join areas, we have the admin team. They, uh, Roger and I will just give them ideas and things that we want to, to see in the ministry and they help uh, put it together. And we're thankful for people like that. And even in our church, we have someone like Archie. He would tell them uh, things that we want to do and then he kind of figures out the pros and cons of how to put it in practi- in, in, a, in a practical way. These are people that are, are gifted in administration. Uh, the next one, is, this is giving. Uh, Romans twelve eight. 8. Uh, this is referring to someone that's willing to give generously and joyfully to people in the church uh, that are in need or for the advancement of the gospel. Uh, the Bible tells us that we, uh, people need to be joyful givers, but people who have the unique gift of giving are people that the Lord has um, blessed them with a tremendous amount of resources, uh, and they use it by, uh, by being generous. They give it to people who are in need. And then I know this sounds like conflict of interest because I'm getting paid by the church. I'm not asking you to give more. I don't, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that people who have this gift, are they, it's not just money. You know? Sometimes it's just like they see, they, they're hanging out, they're having lunch with one of their friends that are in the church, and they realize, okay, my, my brother here is struggling financially. I'll take the bill. Or they see someone that's like, um, in need of some clothing, and they like, okay, let me go buy them these things. You know, it's some sort of practical way where you give up your resources to serve the body. And when you do these things, you, you show that um, in, a, in a tangible way how generous our God is. Your God has been generous with you, and so you are generous with those in the church. In the book of Acts, we see that there was no one in the church that was lacking anything. Uh, some of you are going to be like that. You're going to have a unique amount of resources, and then how you use it to build up the body is up to you, and it's between you and the Lord. And you do it cheerfully. You don't do it out of obligation. Or you don't do it out of, feel, of fear that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But we give cheerfully. Next one is showing Mercy. This is a unique God-given ability to have a passionate toward those who are hurting in the church. Uh, these are people who, who are gifted and given comfort, who are suffering or are in great sorrow. Uh, this gift is not just feeling sorry for people, uh, but it will spring into action in finding ways to lift others up. Uh, example would be people that are, you have a mercy ministry here in our church, and the reason why we have that is because there are certain people in our church that, that just has a, like a, like a unique love for those who are physically hurting. Uh, again, all Christians have that, but the people uh, in the church that have this unique gift have this desire to want to see those that are handicapped or the homeless or the widows or the sick or the suffering uh, and, and try to figure out a practical way to care for them. Uh, people who see those in the church uh, and they have this extra desire to, to meet their needs. And that's that's different and that's unique I mean, back then in the in the the time of the apostles because remember there was no like social system the way that we think about it. you know when when people are hurting uh, what what made them distinct is that there was this care for each other this unique type of love that they have towards one another so it's it's, it's a special is a special enabling by the lord to care for those that are in need next one is faith this is shown in first Corinthians twelve nine. 9 uh, this gift is not talking about salvation but that the, the people with this gift have this unique ability to trust in the Lord, no matter what type of hardship or difficulty. It is this unwavering and absolute trust in God and, his, and through trust of God and his power and promises. And a person with this ability is someone that has the ability to strengthen believers in light of affliction, trials, and tribulation. People who have this gift of faith are always entrusting themselves to God, and they are always an encourager in the church to remember the faithfulness of our Lord. They're characterized by their unflinching resolve to trust in God. So I remember once when I was in college, there was one of my mentors. He had a family, and he had a wife, two kids. And when he was done with seminary, uh, he didn't get into a pastoral position. He was from Chicago, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go back to Chicago now. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to miss you, dude. And, he said, and I was like, so what are you going to do? He's like, well, at this point... Uh, you know, working at the, the, the job that he had at the time was kind of running out so he had to leave and he didn't have like a like a plan yet. But he had this complete faith that the Lord will, will bring to pass whatever he needed. That that horrified me. The Chinese side of me was like freaking out. I was like, You don't have a plan, you're doing this and he's like, Yeah, like God always provides. And when he moved, it was not long later that the Lord provided. He was able he, now he's faithfully serving at a church. He's a lay lay person now, has just you know thriving in his church and serving. You know, some people, they're just people in the, that, that are like that in their life. They have this unique trust in the Lord and there's an encouragement to those who get discouraged easily. They're characterized, again by their unflinching resolve to trust in God. The next one is spiritual discernment. First Corinthians 12:10. this refers to someone who's able to discern doctrinal error and religious deception. These are people in the church who have this unique giftness in identifying falsehood in the realm of theology. Uh, people who have the spiritual discernment are people who are guarding and defending the truth. Uh, they have this unique ability and mind to comprehend what is stated and can kind of filter out what they mean and can decide whether or not what they're saying is true or heresy. And we see this even in our church, right? We have their, their people. I remember Victor. He's someone that, when I first met him, he was just telling me all of these different um, cults that he spoke to. And we kind of like, we're like a similar mind in that sense. Like, he, he likes to talk about cults. I like to think about how to talk to cult and everything. Like, we just, like, we're, just, we're, we're not, like, we're not, like, cult-holic or whatever, but, you know, we, we, ha- we just have this desire to, like, okay, we need to fend truth. And Victor at the time did that. He, when he was at his prime, he was just he was like, I mean, have you been to his house? Like, have you been to his house and you look at his bookshelf? There's like all of these different, it looks like my bookshelf. There's like all these different cult stuff there. You'd think that he's like some polytheistic guy, but he, he studied all of them. He wants to know how to defend them when they come to their door. Uh, there are people like that in our church that has this unique ability to, 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 to test uh, whether or not is saying, whether someone's saying it's true or false. Next one is evangelism. Uh, this, is, this is showing in Ephesians 4.11. This is a this, this unique ability to explain, exhort, and apply the gospel to non-believers. In the context of church, it's someone that has a heart for those who are lost, who don't know Jesus, and have this uh, really gifted way of explaining the gospel. Um, it's, 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 not, it's not hard for them. They just have this desire to go. You know, That's like, like, like the way I spoke about Victor. It's like Virginia. Virginia is like that. His wife, Virginia, is like he's just someone that uh, just loves to share the gospel with those who do not know him. I mean, if you've been under her Sunday school, you know that's what she's like. Another gift, singleness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.7. 7. This is a gift that appears in two... It, it means... This gift is unique in, it's in two different ways. One is a, it's a unique ability to not have any desire for marriage. That's, that's a gift of singleness. And the other is, is someone that is currently single... And, and that's it. It's, like it's either you all have no desire to get married or you're currently single. So all of us at one point had the gift of singleness. And by God's grace, some of you may get married and some of you may not, but that's, that's okay. Because you're the, the current state that you're in is a gift from the Lord. And it should be encouragement in your, uh, in your singleness because you can be used by God in ways that uh, married people can't be used anymore. And that's why in Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 speaks of how singleness is actually better um, I've said this uh, recently, i uh, say it again the single people in our church are a treasure in our church you guys are a unique bunch of people when you're in college or early in your career or later or, or if you're just not married you are a gift to our church you're not like secondary class citizens you, know, you are a blessing to church because you can do things uh, in ways that other people cannot so when people see your faithfulness as a single person they rejoice in the heart that the Lord is using you in different ways that they wish they can you know, we have missionaries that are single. There's like this, I have, I know I know Bible translators that are in like places where it's heavily Muslim country, and it's hard for them to to care for the wife and translate the Bible and do ministry while they have to think about their own family. You know, this person this person's unique in that way. I've I, have, I have know different missionaries that are like that. They have no desire to get married because they want to use their singleness for the glory of God. Um, and all of us before we're married. Or if you ever get married, have that gift of singleness, and it's a good thing. It's something that I think our culture tends to look down on at times because we think, like, "Oh, you're you're weird if you're single," but no, it's a blessing from the Lord. You know, First Corinthians seven tells us to live as you're called, and if you never get married, that's okay. It's 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 a it's a, it's a state that the Lord has placed in you, and we can rejoice together in that. On the on the flip side, marriage is also a spiritual gift. it's just highlighted in Ephesians five where. It's, it's a gift for people to, when they see a couple, a married couple, they think about, it's like a tangible, like, a, like an outward reminder of what Christ is like to the church. When there's a faithful couple in the church who loves the Lord, you're reminded of how much Christ's love is like to us in the church. Every married couple is unique in that way, much like singleness. The way that you live out your life faithfully, it can be an encouragement and it builds other people up for the glory of God. And the last one, shepherding. Uh, this is a, again another one of those both an office and a gift. Is someone who is uh, someone who is a shepherd or pastor has a unique role in in, in leading the church, in leading, feeding, protecting, and, and caring for the church in a spiritual way. Uh, their main role in the church is to pray and to study God's word and to teach God's word. Um, their role is to help the church be more mature in Christ's likeness through the Scriptures. Um, That's what Ephesians 4 speaks of when it talks about the roles of the the pastor for the equipping, Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The hope is that as we preach and teach God's word that you become more Christ-like, that you think about God's word, you meditate on it weekly or daily, in any moment that you have, and you become more Christ-like. Our job as pastors or shepherds or elders, that's the unique responsibility that we have. We're supposed to teach you God's word so that you can be more like Christ. In Romans 12, so that your, your mind will be renewed. That's our hope, that your life will be changed through the teaching of God's word. You'll notice that all these gifts are happening in the church right now, and will, and what's cool about our spiritual gift is that it'll grow according to your spiritual maturity. Uh, Romans 126 tells us that uh, we'll just read it okay Romans 12 Romans 126 12, says we have a gift. since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. This means that your spiritual gift and the effectiveness in your ministry, it goes hand in hand with your spiritual maturity. You think about the way that uh, a young believer evangelizes like, compared to an older believer. A young believer may be hesitant and, and not sure how to present the gospel, whereas a seasoned believer, they can be, they're able to just share the gospel because they've lived a life more. Um, when it comes to preaching, there's a difference between the way Pastor Henry preaches and the way I preach. Pastor Henry's sermons are amazing; mine's is garbage because he's just older. He's been in the faith longer. He knows God's word. hes, he's well, you guys are laughing because you agree. But he's—he's you know, he's, Pastor Henry, someone who's been in the faith longer. He's more—he's—he's he's been sanctified by God. He's more mature. So the way he preaches, it shows that he, he, his gift grows as he gets older. Um, that's hope for those who are listening to me preach like okay he can actually get better um you know we and i was listening to i was listening to some of the tms stuff this week and lawson said that about macarthur he's like macarthur uh when he was 29 years old he would preach a certain way usually was like more verses but now when he's like 79 years old he has more things to say so he could preach like one word for like a month you know this is just his giftedness i've, I've heard him do that like i remember i heard him he preached on Galatians, Paul, and he stopped there and he, was like, he just went on like his whole, he wrote a book on one word. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is just a unique, uh, it's, it's your gifts, as you continue to know, like studying God's word, knowing God's word, and being transformed by God's word to be more Christ-likeness, you will also see how your gifts will grow as well. Um, when, whether it's exhorting people in God's word, you, if you, as you grow in God's word, you see how God is working in your life and how God has worked in other people's lives, you're able to teach it better. You're able to exhort others uniquely. So they grow. As you mature in the faith, so will your gifts. So to summarize, spiritual gifts are anything that the Lord has given, uh, anything that the Lord's given to you in a unique way for you to build up the body of Christ. It's to strengthen the body of God, whether through actions or, for, or words. So all that you say or do is a means to help people to be more like Christ. And that's our responsibility in the church. When we talk about the spiritual gifts, how do you serve in the body, you always have to remember, how am I being used by God to build up the body of Christ? These are questions that you should think about. The reason why we have this in our What We Believe section is because we want to draw the line between those who believe that these sign gifts are still active when in reality they're not. We want our people in our church to know um, that the gifts that they have, these um, permanent gifts are the ones that they should strive for, the ones that they should spend their time uh, doing instead of trying to look for the miraculous gifts. We need to be people to, who are great good stewards with uh, what we have instead of trying to, f- instead of you know, being, dis- being deceived into thinking that there are certain gifts that we can achieve. These are miraculous gifts. You know, we don't need these miraculous gifts anymore because we have God's word. But for, th- for those believers here today, you, know, you have a unique responsibility and God has gifted you in a special way to go and be expended, you know our our Savior is described, Christ describes someone who came to serve, not to be served. And is that you? Are you like that? You know, when you think about your gifts, do you serve because it's something you want to, you like to do, or is it something that you just have, you just feel like you just need to do because someone else is pressuring you to do it? You should do it like full wholeheartedly for the Lord for His glory. It's better that you serve God with the right motives than to just do things because it just makes you, you know, something for you to do to not be bored. We should be mindful of the gifts that God has given us because we'll, one day we'll be held accountable for how we use the gifts that God's given us all the resources, all of our time, and our talents. First um, Corinthians explained how some of the stuff that we do will burn and others will be rewarded for. So use your gifts. Be an active member of this church. Be faithful with, with what, has give, what the Lord has given you and strive to, to be to, to used by God to build others up for the glory of God. Similar to last week, we have a list of questions for, for discussion. Um, is that up? No? Okay, cool. So, yeah, similar to last week, we're just going to break up into groups of you know, three or four with people around you and just, and just talk through some of these questions. Uh, ask, what are my spiritual gifts? Um, what are the things that you're doing now Where, how are you building a church or if you are not serving what do you want to do uh, if you look at our bulletin um, that we have on Sunday you can see all the different types of ministry um, and I would encourage you if, there's, if you have a desire to help those that are elderly do it if you want to go and care for those that are uh, children go for it ask those people that are part of those ministries and ask if you can learn from them so that you can go and serve the body second how can I continue to cultivate the gift that the Lord has given me um, third, what are some of the needs I see in the church that the Lord can use me in? And again, this third one is, is what I hope that our church will be is more transparent in terms of the needs. I know the Asian side of us sometimes are like prideful, like we don't want to tell that we have, tell people we have needs. Sometimes our practical needs, sometimes are just like spiritual needs. You know, we're struggling with a sin, or or we're struggling with life. My hope is that that as a church body, as a as a, as a body of Believers, their family, um, that we're we should be able to be transparent in that way, because someone if uh, someone will be able to meet those needs. I trust that if, if if you let your needs known, the Lord will use someone in the church to help provide for you. But you have to you have to let those needs know. Otherwise, there's no way we can serve you. Um, again, our, our hope is that everyone serves, and for those that are, uh, you know, we don't strive, we don't come into the church so that we can be served primarily although that's a benefit of the church or, uh, and a blessing too, but what, brings, what should bring us great joy is that we serve others in the, in the church. So these are the questions. And uh, before we break up into the groups, let me close our time in prayer. And um, you guys can talk for maybe 30 minutes or so before the snacks arrive. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're thankful uh, to be able to say this really big and vast topic. And um, Lord, may you be honored um, in the teaching of your word. And Lord, I hope that for each and every single one of us um, who are uniquely gifted by you, uh, use the gifts that you've given us for, this, uh, for your glory uh, to build up the church, to be used uh, as an instrument of yours to encourage, to exhort, uh, to build up, to strengthen, um, and to care for those that uh, you've entrusted us with. Um, Lord, may we be found faithful in your eyes as a church that is marked not just as um, as consumers but as people that are that are doers uh, we want to be the church that's known as the entire church that is just constantly serving and caring for each other uh, because we have a love uh, uh, because we have a great love for you and we understand how much you've loved us and should drive us uh, to care for those around us uh, be with us with our discussions it may be fruitful allow us to be able to do some reflection in our own lives and how we can uh, better serve our brothers and sisters in the faith. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.